Each and every one of us have a platform every day. We're sending single signals out to someone. Our presence and our aura is making a difference to someone. Are you contributing something that's going to be purposeful or are you contributing something that's going to be stagnant or destructive? And make no mistake about it, you have that kind of influence. Welcome everyone to WorkPod Podcast. Today we have with us a very interesting guest and we are uh, about to have some good conversation about teams. So very few times we have guests on the show who talks about the fundamental fabric of what creates a successful organization, team. And uh, we have with us Patrick Tuhi. He's a senior vice president uh, at Allied Solutions LLC, uh, currently running his company Elite Performance 2E. Uh, Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Look forward to our talk today and visiting with your audience. Beautiful. So before we start, why don't you walk us through your journey? What brought you to this day? Yeah, so as I work in the both corporate world and my experience in the athletic world, as a leader, I you know, constantly am like asking myself to observe, to listen, to try to see if there are things that we can adjust, uh, build on, grow about, and bring in new things to try to change a culture that's continuously vibrant, passionate uh, for teammates on the athletic side, coworkers on the corporate side. And through those observations, I've, I've kind of noticed some things that are generational changes or cultural changes that we need to stay on top of and adjust to as leaders to pay attention, to be uncomfortable, to embrace discomfort around things that you know we do we need to grow as leaders and and bring those into the work environment through some tenets and principles. And I thought, you know what? Let's try to write a book maybe and explain some of that and give some uh, lessons and teachings around it and see where that brings us. So that's that's why I wrote the book and this is why I'm where I'm at today with it and I'm excited about it. Beautiful. So, um, talk to us about um, Elite Performance. Uh, what does that company do? When yeah, yeah. So, Elite Performance Tui is a company that works with. Initially, started with athletic teams, um, and then morphed into uh, corporate teams in respect to doing workshops and lessons around working with people who are in leadership position to integrate some principles and tenets about uh, involving core areas of personal development that if courageous enough to do the work, that it would change the dynamic around the, the, the joy, the passion, the spirit, the idea of this work is something that is a goal of mine. It's a, it's a career path. I've, went after or followed, but there's a whole other side of it that I want to bring into the equation that's so much more meaningful from a human connection perspective that we can teach some basic principles and tenets to have a collaborative, co-created participation with leaders and their co-workers to develop a culture that would ignite that kind of environment. And so 
this is the work that we do. Um, it's amazing to see the transformation and how teams shift and their energy state, their their true connection to their teammates and their coworkers, and how much passion that brings to something that some love already doing. And for others who may not have that kind of passion around the work they're doing, brings in another element that gets them passionate because they're tied to uh, a, a much more meaningful purpose to what they're doing. Uh, beautiful. So walk to us about your um, your corporate journey. Like how has um, your experience been in, in managing teams? Yeah. So, you know, just real quickly, my life journey around what got me to where I'm at today and why I do the work I do and, and why I'm so excited about it is my beginnings was such that I'm one of 10 siblings and, you know, I grew up in object poverty and had a very difficult time uh, in the environment that I grew up in. And my dad, God bless him. I love him uh, to death. He's passed, but you know, he was a unemployable alcoholic. And I only share that with you to tell you that, that those beginnings were extremely difficult, but at the same time were a catalyst into taking a look at who I was as a person and how I could improve upon maybe some of the um, demons and things that I learned that were not such good mentoring tools for my own success and how I could go about changing the cycle of poverty and failure and non-belief and that this is what my destiny is because this is the environment I grew up in. And if I fast forward, challenges along the way, but I ended up in college, um, which was an exciting thing. I mean, Patrick Tui in college, if you saw my experience in high school, would have been quite amazing. Um, and I began to pursue this professional career around, I was going to coach athletics initially. That was my dream. And I ended up starting in coaching. I was an assistant college coach um, at the collegiate level. Um, I became a head coach at the high school level for, for boys and girls, high school basketball. But at the same time, I was pursuing a corporate career. And in that corporate career, I was very much motivated to take advantage of career development, promotions, and things of that nature. And I got to the point where, you know what? I think I can start my own company. I think I could make a go at maybe building this successful company that I would be very much enthused and passionate about helping people develop, helping people grow, helping people become passionate, helping people understand that they can change and that they can challenge themselves in these areas of discomfort and not being able to feel like they believe in themselves or that they're capable or that that's something that just isn't, you know, isn't in on their radar. And I, and I drew from my own experience to be a leader that could help motivate and influence and helping people tap into the best version of themselves and be creative and be listened to and be someone who is honored no matter what level of the corporation, that everyone has value, that everyone has something to bring 
that could be dynamic if we all are willing to be humble, pay attention, and listen to each other. And so I ended up building a very successful company that I sold in 2009 uh, for a great deal of money. And I stayed on as a senior vice president to the company I sold it to and continue to want to run the operation. So this this idea of the book around self-improvement, self-reflection, um, looking at who we are and our attitudes, behaviors, energies are a vital part of the intrinsic experience that needs to be developed in order to truly not only hone this craft that you've been p- become very good at, but there's an intrinsic element and a human element that we have to pay attention to if we're going to be the most powerful leaders, if we're going to be the most powerful force, because we will need to trust each other and rely on each other in those moments that require it most, not when things are going so well. So anyway, I've kind of got into some, some things maybe we didn't want to talk to initially about, but that's, <laughs> that's what I, that's my passion and that's what I love to do. So uh, thank you. Thank you for walking us through that. So um, uh, in, in your journey over, over your, your, your corporate work, as well as uh, being a team coach uh, for, for, for a football team, what has been, uh, what has been your uh, experience and how, how the team's uh, dynamic is different in both the template or same? Like what, what has been your observation? Yeah. So on the corporate side, you know, I have a real strong mentor of mine who's a life coach and introduced me to the concept of that for a long time. I mean, it's already beginning to change, but for a long time, we worked in an industrial age mindset mm. and that served us very well. It was very mm. successful. It, mm. however, created an environment where people would come into the workforce, you know, Go to your cubicle, do your job, get it done well. Don't spend a lot of time talking. You've got work to do. We got to produce and we've got to get the outcomes we're looking for. And if we look at today, what we're seeing in the workforce is a group of people who are entering the workforce who want much more of a meaning to what they're doing and have much more of a different experience around this, what I call intrinsic connection. And so what that is requiring us to move into is what I call a collaborative, co-creative mindset. And so if if that's our challenge as leaders, how do we need to begin to adjust how we're leading and what kind of actions and steps we're implementing in the process in order to create and invite that kind of environment. And that's discomforting for people who have been used to leading in a way of get your work done, get it done well, mm-hmm. and, and and produce as much as you can. And even to the point where, you know, I even hate to say this word because it it, it disgusts me in a, in a certain way. And that is let's motivate through fear. Let's, let's get people doing what they need to do through fear. And that's just such a draining way to experience your mm-hmm. career 
in such an unfulfilling uh, way. But it just amazes me how many people I talk to when I ask them, what is your primary feeling state while you're working? And they, they'll say, it feels like mm-hmm. a burden. It feels like mm-hmm. a dream. And so I think corporate leaders who are not on top of this shift that's occurring to create this collaborative, co-creative inclusion, everyone has value. And I'm not suggesting that we all sit around a campfire and, you know, comfort each other in a way that's, that doesn't demand or require accountability or things of that nature. It's just that we have to be willing to open ourselves up to do that. On the athletic side, it's the same thing. We've become Mm -hmm. so ingrained on the extrinsic focus, the, the, the skill development, the, the results, the outcomes, the getting the scholarship, the playing division one or playing basketball. We spend all time on the robotic side of development and skill set. It's necessary. It's part of the equation. You can never reach your, your fullest potential, your best self without a true commitment to honing your craft. But if that's all there is to it, it, it also becomes this very emotionalless experience. It becomes very draining-like. And so this human side, this, this intrinsic side, because, because they're not learning it in the new environment that they're learning to play sports in, has to be part of the equation. Um, is, no, I, is, think, I think... Is, so yeah, so I uh, thank you, thank you for pointing us out. Uh, one thing that that really stands out with what you're saying is um, so uh, industry. You you talk about industrial age mindset, right? That we are living in that. And I think when when I was when I was um, uh, preparing for this this this, this session, uh, what one thing that was I, I was thinking about was how uh, sports team. Are their their mission? Their mission is to win this game. There are a lot of creativities are involved. Their passions are involved. But I think you pointed to something very interesting that uh, having this industrial age mindset and it has been working for us culturally. Even if we are we are heart and mind is not at work, maybe sometimes fear used to work at for some individuals. In fact, I was talking to someone yesterday, uh, and they were terrified of their manager but not willing to leave because the it, it's breadwinner and they, they, they just want to work around. And somehow that culture is very much predominant in, 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 in that, in that ecosystem. It's, it's, it's very, it's, it's very out there today. So, and now the pandemic has given us a very different perspective, right? So we used to be in very industrial settings. We go there, the cubicles involved, we all used to see each other slogging. So maybe monkey see, monkey do. We'll also end up slogging. But now we are at our home fighting our own individual battles. And somehow these battles needs to be collaborated to deliver a central outcome. So from, from your vantage point as, as someone who, who studies uh, the team dynamics and, and educate uh, businesses around that, what has been your observation on how has the, the, the team dynamic changed over last two three four years including the pandemic era and 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 going forward how should we how should we look at uh, the teams so as things changed as a result of covid in respect to remote or virtual working environments 
it obviously, to me, escalated this challenge we were having before that dynamic came into play. And what I mean by that is some of the common challenges that, I, that I've heard, not only from corporations, but from teams, is things like trust. This idea that I trust my employer, I trust my leader, and vice versa, to the point that I feel empowered to speak my mind around ideas, strategies, actions, and plans that not everyone will agree upon, but at least it gets us thinking in a dynamic way, and it doesn't have repercussions tied to it. Um, so this that's just one example of many examples around this challenge of lack of trust. Now, you can imagine when we begin to disperse people out, mm. and they're now working in remote areas, right? And we're not in this team element, how much more of a challenge building trust is going to be, okay? Because there are many positive sides that have enlightened people around renewed energy to have this flexibility to be in a remote virtual environment. The other challenge that I saw that was in place before this hybrid remote type of work environment was what I call empathetic listening. And this idea of truly when you're present in a meeting to have this ability to truly listen to what's being said in a way that that person who is speaking, you are totally present for and not having an ulterior motive or agenda or a a formulated response before the person is even done. And so what happens in a remote hybrid environment, although we're going to get used to it, and I believe that it will eventually become effective, is mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're on a screen where you see maybe 10 people and there are 20 other team members that are not on the screen because mm-hmm. it can't handle putting all those faces. And so you don't know what the body language is. You don't know what else is going on. You don't know what disruptions or distractions are occurring to pull us away from empathetic listening. It's, it's, It's going to be a huge challenge. There's important information that's going to be shared back and forth that might be missed because someone else is distracted by maybe their child who is also at home or mm. they're busy reading something while they're so you're not you're not truly the idea of being present is going to be so much more challenging okay the other thing that i saw and continue to see as a challenge is is this idea of being totally selfless mm. um and this is a cultural thing um, i don't blame anybody i don't judge it in any way it's just evolved in this manner. Uh, I work with college athletic teams who are, you know, preparing to go into the workforce. And, you know, I observe this, this self-absorption, this, this self-interest, this, I need to get ahead. What's in it for me? What Mm -hmm. are my actions and steps I'm taking and how do they correlate to 
I'm the one that's going to get the accolades. I'm the one that's going to be rewarded. I'm the one that's going to become the CEO. And this laser focus self-importance that pulls us away from the idea of, and it's, and it's, it's, it plays itself out time and time again, that when I'm willing to serve others, when I'm truly connected to helping someone else become more successful than me, that it comes back to me tenfold. Mm. And it does. It, it, it most definitely does. And this fear that we all have, this fear of if I don't get mine, I'm going to lose out. Um, it, it, and it, it bleeds into diversity and things of that nature. And I, you know, I, it's, it's, I love being with athletic teams that are diverse in who they are because it brings up a whole set of different things that, again, as corporate leaders, as, as coaches that we're going to be challenged with and how to influence and motivate all of this, this group that's diverse in who they are and their interests and a number of different things. So, so that's the challenge, and it's only going to get harder in this remote virtual environment. The way to address it is, without going into specifics, the way to address it is, you know, I'm going to put this out there, right? There's a leader who once told me, Patrick, you know, the most powerful human emotion is love. And I find it interesting in this stodgy corporate world that we participate in sometimes, not always, mm-hmm. it's not all, mm-hmm. but, but, or even on athletic teams, that that just really isn't the, this isn't really the place for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I often ask myself, well, if it is the most powerful human emotion and we somehow could duplicate it in a cult, in a corporate environment, or in an athletic team, wouldn't we not have the most powerful workforce? Uh, because if it if it is true that it is the most powerful, and it is, okay, I'll agree with you, Patrick. Let's go along with that. Now, how are we gonna, going to do it? How are we going to put it in action? Well, I ask coaches and I ask corporate leaders, are you prepared to take a percentage of your time to say that we're going to pull ourselves away from this laser focus on outcome and results, and we're going to invest it in building the human element, the intrinsic element, the connections with each other, that when I come to work, I love coming to work. And it doesn't have to be predicated on the work that I'm doing necessarily. It's because I have this environment of people that know I have value. Three basic human needs are love, appreciation, and inclusion. If I'm a leader, that's where I start. How do, how do I look at my corporation and how do I look at my athletic team? Where are we at from a love standpoint? Where are we at from an appreciation standpoint? And where are we at from an inclusion or you could say value that every person feels that they bring value? And we're doing it intentionally. We're not taking it for granted. We're not taking advantage that that's who we are, that we are actually in actionable steps in intentional ways, reinforcing those three things. 
Beautifully put. So one one interesting thing I was thinking about. So uh, three months into pandemic, the world is panicking. We're still figuring out what's going on. And we used to talk to H- leaders, uh, business leaders, HR leaders um, on what is what is their um, focus or what they are thinking at that at that particular point in their lives. And we used to sort of get this two very, very interesting observations. So one one bucket used to say, hey, uh, performance, I want to bring people back as soon as possible. So we, we don't figure out, we don't miss out on our performance and, and whatever, right? And then the, the next bucket used to say, purpose, when 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 my team is so I I look at look at sort of my my company as a team sport. So whenever we are all together fighting this good fight, we all have a common purpose. But now at our home, we are vulnerable. We're vulnerable to losing that purpose. We're vulnerable to a lot of other attacks that could happen emotionally, psychologically, uh, and and uh, through whatever ways. And and we want I want to get them people back on the track. So. Uh, and and I think when when I used to hear that I used to think I used to think that absolutely correct. Like every a corporate sport is like a team sport. You are here for a very distinct purpose, and and you want to, you want a razor focused, passionate um, uh, interest in in delivering on it. When you look at look at say leaders today, having gone through this now two years uh, passing. Um, struggle of getting people back on track back on performance and we have seen a lot of emotional battles that we as a society fighting over last 20 uh, last two years if if a leader is watching this show like what do you want what what would you tell them so i think you know looking at it in hindsight You know, what it required from leaders is this great deal of patience and it required a great deal of listening skills and it took a great deal of being able to take in what was being communicated and find a balance. Because to your point, not everyone had the same opinion, the same thought the same personal and emotional experience related to the pandemic. So I know that there are potential leaders who were mindset on, we need to get people back in the office as soon as we possibly can, or we're going to suffer significantly as a corporation. And with that kind of mindset, it was causing some, some, some frictions. Uh, it was causing division. It was causing employees to be um, concerned with the fact that all they care about is profits and not who we are as human beings and how safe uh, we potentially are or are not related to coming back into the workforce. So I think that this idea of as a leader possessing the ability to able to, to emotionally keep stable and keep balance around a very difficult situation and looking at your corporation and how it operates and what are the things that will allow us to continue to be successful in a remote type of 
environment is the things that we need to begin to look at and see how we can adjust and accommodate those people. And so, so I would again say patience, listening, being able to adjust, making sure that your people know that you are and only focused on their best interest and taking actions that reflect that that truly is what this corporation is about. And that is our commitment to our people. And that in return, the employees will feel as though they are being looked at as human beings, that they are being looked at as they're the most important thing, not the corporate profit. And as a result of that are going to be more loyal, potentially, they're going to want to potentially give more back because they receive that kind of compassion and empathy um, from, from the leaders. And it requires that. I will tell you that fear is a significant challenge for the leaders because Mm -hmm. fear drives emotional decisions that always aren't the best interest in the long term. And that Mm -hmm. as a leader is something that I think we all had to be very careful of when we were looking at how the performance looked from one month to the next, you can imagine leaders who saw corporate profits being drained to the point mm. that they were faced with tough, tough decisions. Do we have to actually close up and call it call it a day? And many of them were faced with that kind of decision that they they really had to accept the fact that something that was out of their control something that they put their blood, sweat, and tears toward. And many of the employees did that because of this p- pandemic, were going to you know, lose their livelihood. They were going to lose their career. They were going to lose their business. I've always learned as a leader that during those difficult times, it's not easy, but there always is a choice. And what I try to reinforce to our people is this idea of, embracing failure, embracing adversity, and embracing um, the struggle with the statement of, okay, what's next? Hmm. I'm going to try this and it may not pan out. Okay, then what's next? Okay, then what's next? I, I think that when we look back at all this as leaders, as fearful as it was to lose the things that we loved so very much, those leaders that are connected to that idea of what's next and anything's possible and opportunities always present themselves, that these, and, and this is the, this is the fabric you want to embed in your employees that this, you know, we have a choice. We have a fork in the road. We can be doomsday. We can be, you know, really just in this funk or, or, or even be a victim of our circumstance, or we can look at it and say, what, what's the possibilities? What are the opportunities? What's next? And then we find ourselves maybe in a whole different career. Maybe we find ourselves in a better way of running our business when we start it up again. Maybe there's other opportunities that come my way that I never envisioned would ever happen to me. And I think if you stay in that kind of energy and you stay in that kind of leadership mode, because you're going to have people who culturally, because of who we've become, it's so easy to tap into the negative. It's so easy to tap into mm. the failure. It's so easy to, to, to tell a story of the what ifs of doomsday 
that as leaders, we have to continue no matter how hard it is. This is the other thing I've learned as a leader. You always have to search for what might shift the energy. Even if you tried a thousand things, what's the thousand and one next thing that I need to search and look for and observe about that could shift our experience and shift our energy? And so I think the leaders that were able to tap into those things during that time are the ones that were the most successful. And some of it, and it breaks my heart, it really does. Some of it was totally out of our control as leaders in helping our business survive. Hmm. It, it, it was inevitable that it was going to fail. And that's a very challenging thing. And now we have to look at, to your point, it created a whole different challenge and dynamic mm. about how employees want to participate in work. It gave them this flexibility to maybe start having some of the power shift their way as far as how they would like to see the work environment look and how the most talented people were willing to stay on if I'm, if I'm able to be in this hybrid, remote, virtual type of environment. And we also as leaders, I know I'm saying a lot here, but we also as leaders need to understand that we have to be humble mm. and we have to step back and say, yes, I wanted people, everyone in the office. I, I, there's no gray area. Everyone has to be back. Well, we have to, we have to look at it and say, where does it really benefit us to say that a remote virtual environment is a, actually the best course of action for us and will develop a more vibrant workplace and will develop more happy employees. And we have to be able to be open to, to, to looking at how does that play out and how do we integrate that in our company? And then at the same time, and I'll end with this, the same time we have to be able to take that virtual atmosphere and we have to bring it into the in-person environment and develop a cohesive united strategic team that all feels like they're part of it. And how are we going to go about doing that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that some of the lessons in the book that I've written, if we take time away to develop that, it will bring that kind of feeling, that kind of culture and environment, whether you're a remote, virtual, or in-person uh, worker. Because there's so much to manage as a result of it. So w one thing, um, actually two-part question, and, and, and I, I, I want your perspective on. So your company is Elite Performance 2E, right? So I'm curious from your vantage point, what is what is Elite Performance? And, and, and the second part to that question that, that I'm curious to your, your point of view on is, uh, uh, you said embrace failures. Right. So now when you talk about elite performance and failures, how do they go together from in your in, in, from your perspective? So if you can shed light on um, these two parts. As far as what I teach about failure through elite performance. So, so first, what is uh, from your point of view, what is elite performance? OK. Yeah. So elite performance for me, my journey in it and my goal is to influence and mentor every person 
that I come in contact with or that our company comes in contact with to be the best possible version of themselves as a person and who they are in their craft. And that Elite Performance TUI is going to ask them to do a lot of self-reflection. Elite Performance TUI is going to ask them to look at those things about who they are as a leader and a person that are not only their great qualities, but more importantly, what are their shortcomings? What, what, what are the things that are preventing them to to continue to grow and to be an influence and a mentor mentor that's in a significantly material way, changing people's lives and helping them become difference makers. And, and what is, what is the, the role of um, uh, failure or, or in, in, in being an elite performer? Yeah. So what we teach in elite performance around failure is, and this is really one of the most significant deficits I see from people today in how they deal with adversity and failure. And if I may elaborate a little bit on that as to why we've gotten to that place. Sure. So we have a generation of people coming into the workforce who grew up in a way that they were sheltered and protected. And what I mean by that is adult intervention into our growing up years and how the adult handled things that were very difficult and hardships so that we were not equipped and did not have the skill set to do it as we entered independence and pursuing our own careers. We as adults didn't want our kids to experience failure. The reason why is it because it was equated that it would ruin their self-confidence, that it would cause scar, that it would, would, would cause doubt in someone's ability. So we want to try to avoid fear. When there were difficult conversations that needed to be made, maybe with your teacher about a report card or a score on a, on a grade, graded test or, or something else, it was always, mom or dad, you come with me because I don't want to do it on my own. And in years past, it was always, no, this is your doing. You need to talk to your teacher. I know it's going to be a hard conversation, but you're going to need to learn, Patrick, how to talk with people about things that you don't agree upon or that are hard conversations. We want to uh, uh, avoid disappointment because disappointment is too devastating. Everybody needs to feel rewarded in respect to whether the reward is earned or not, just because we don't want to disappoint someone who doesn't get recognized no matter what their level of participation or their effort. So when I say all those things, can you imagine having that lack of skill set and being placed in an environment where you have mm. to lead? And here's what I, here's what I observe. And I'm talking adults, okay? 
I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to have that kind of conversation. I'm not going to try that because I want to feel like I belong. I don't want to upset the apple cart. I don't want to be ostracized. I just assume not do it. I just assume not challenge it. I just assume just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, because, because if I don't feel like part of the team, that's too devastating for me. I mean, these are, these are college level kids and adults who have this significant fear of all of these things because we didn't allow them to experience it. So in Elite Performance TUI, what we talk about is this. We want to shift the understanding of fear. And then we want them to be able to internalize how fear needs to be brought in, into the experience and how we use it as a fuel for excitement. Okay. So we want to reteach it. Okay. So what we tell people in Elite Performance TUI is this. Know this, failure is awesome. I have a sign in my office that says, thank you, failure. I'm excited <laughs> to learn and grow today because I didn't get to mastery. What, what we all have to teach everyone mm -hmm. is mastery came from the catalyst that failure required us to get better at in order to get to the mastery. And so... If we avoid the failure, then what we're doing is we're settling. We're, we're never reaching our fullest potential. So, hey, man, reaching the fullest potential requires me to go for it, to, to look at it, to try it. And if I fail, I'm going to step back and say, damn, I'm proud of myself. I went after that. Now, what can I learn from that? What do I need to adjust? What do I need to change? What do I need, what do, I need to do differently? And I have to... And I have to do that by changing how I interpret the experience. We've been taught to say perfection is the only thing that, that's acceptable. So what you say when you fail is, I'm no good. I did it wrong. I'm terrible. I'm not very good at this. I'm not very smart. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm stupid. I'm this. I'm that. This is the internal messages you begin to tell yourself. And so you avoid those things you might fail at and you become this safe person. You, 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 that, that's a human reaction to, I'll play it safe. Let's shift that judgment, that harsh self-talk to curiosity. In other words, I'm just curious as to why that didn't work out. And when I have this self-judgment come in around, you're stupid, you're no good, you don't have the skill set, don't push that away. Just let it be there. But then, then shift your mind to, huh, if I, I'm just curious. What, what could I learn from that? I'm not going to put a judgment on it. And I have to have a leader who has the empathy, compassion, and understanding to say, hey, I'm proud that you went after that. I'm proud that you tried that. And I really want to work with you to be more curious about how we can grow from it. And so... I'm just telling you that if we can shift and create this kind of environment around failure, you're going to have things that are created and ideas that come up and all of these wonderful inventions that never would have taken place. Because you know why? There's a lot of very talented people out there who are letting failure and fear stop them from expanding themselves.
And who knows what that person might come up with? Maybe a cure for cancer. No, I, I think one thing that, that was uh, pretty pretty interesting. So we used to talk to a lot of high-performing leaders on why do they think they're high-performing or what is what is that secret sauce, right? Yeah. And what is their panic and what is what is keeping up keeping them up at night? So one one thing that that surprisingly show up every now and then is their fear of relinqu- relinquishing control because they have been they have been now celebrated as high performers so now they put lot more weight and pressure on their decisions right because they now they have it's it's like an inertia now they have been great now they they keep have to they have to be great so if if you are a leader uh, which like if if we talk about high performance and then we talk about uh, their their hesitation to relinquishing control because that means i'm giving my sword to you and letting you fight which which basically puts some dent on my quality of my decision because now it's dependent on you and if you and we have been always asked to um to talk about high performance we also always celebrate success in in terms of performance so when you hear hear it and i think you you said bunch of interesting things that um we have to celebrate failures because that has lot more role to play in my success than my few successes that has brought me to where i am today how do you see it when you see a leader that is struggling to um basically relinquishing the control giving it to others letting other decide letting other perform and building other leaders because i think uh, other thing i i i keep hearing a lot and definitely not from good leader because that's a i i, I quickly judge them that maybe this is not not right is hey if i give my trade secrets away then i'm worthless and that's that has been a it's surprisingly large community of leaders have this sort of monolithic thinking so as a as as a as a team leader or as as a leader who is encouraging leaders to build strong teams what what's your vantage point what's what's yeah. your thought on this well it's a va- valid point and and it truly does exist out there in a big way and you know when i talk to people like that there's a couple things and again it has to be a willing participant mm-hmm. some someone who is operating in that kind of mindset and continues to do so really when it when it's peeled down to its core is is all fear driven um and fear is a extremely powerful emotion and and it could it can cause leaders to do things that really make the entire experience very lonely um and very um th- this continued pursuit for the next thing um see as human beings i truly believe i and, and i could equate it to the athletic side too you know you're pursuing this goal of yours and and you have control over your own actions and steps and you're doing everything you possibly can to make this dream come true and your participation in it and the things that you have control over are things that you know 
along the way, you've built to a level that has made you highly successful. And as you're going along the way, if you were to reflect back and ask yourself, how many others were included in the process? How many others were I connected to, to have an experience that was not just mine? And when I talk to those people, I ask them, how happy are you really? And this is a common answer that I'll, that I'll get. It's, I was elated when I got the golden ring. I was elated when I achieved the goal. But I almost automatically, not too soon thereafter, had this feeling, is this all there is to it? And then I had to go pursue the next thing. That was the elation that brought me back to, okay, let me go after the next thing. And maybe that's what's going to bring me total joy and happiness. Okay. And so it's a very lonely place for many of them, if they were to truly be honest. Okay. They may not even be able to tap into that. So my answer to your question is this. I would sit down with that person. And the first thing I would ask them is, what are you so afraid of? I mean, what are you really so afraid of? And when it comes down to it, it truly is failure. Hmm. That if they let go of control, the whole thing is going to fall apart and no one can do it as well as me. And it's a formula for drudgery, drain, burnout, and feeling, again, very alone. Um, and so, and so if you can get them to tap into that, it truly is really only fear. Then it becomes a question of introducing them into things like, let's work on gratitude. Mm. Let's work on serving others. Let's work on, and, and, and I'll just tell you that these are foreign to that individual. These are foreign. They're, they're, they're not in their sphere of, of their radar of things that they needed to develop qualities around or skill sets around. And, and it's, 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 a, it's a crawl before you walk, a walk before you run, a run before you sprint. <laughs> You're not going to turn that person mm-hmm. around overnight. But, but there's got to be, as a leader, like if I'm the leader of that leader, and, and, and somewhere above him or a mentor of that person, I, I think I owe it to that individual to try to get and introduce some different things into their vocabulary, into their consciousness that wasn't anything they spent any time thinking about. And what are the benefits and value? Here's the thing, right? Introduce it. Introduce it again. Reinforce the benefits of the values of it. Reinforce the benefits and the values of it. Reinforce the benefits and the values of it. And then then deliver actionable steps that that person has to take to shift it. And then you have to continue to stay at that. And, And I hate to say this, but guess what? There comes a point as a leader where you begin to say, I know this is my best performer. But is he really, in the long run, helping us become the best possible version of ourselves? 
As a leader, I owe it to every one of my teammates to have the best potential to succeed. And although this individual would be very difficult, here's the fear that gets in the way. And it always, it's always interesting to me, right? That companies will hold on to people who are the best performers, but there's so many other things about them that are destructive to the whole. And they mm. don't see the forest between the trees. They only see that person's performance. But what they don't know is how much that person is holding everything else down. Fair point. That if they were building five other people to be as good as, as they were, now all of a sudden we have five, six, seven people. Hmm. This person that has this control. And that's fearful for a leader. And I'll close it with this, because if I if I make that person change or if I get rid of that person, I'm going to lose this much more in performance, revenue, income and so much so on and so forth. And then we get into an integrity issue, which is a whole nother matter in my book. You know, what is our level of integrity of a corporation? What's the message we're sending out to all of our employees based on certain performers? So, you know, it, it, it just it. It's interesting. All I can tell you is it's interesting. <laughs> but what? A, but what a great challenge! What a great yes, challenge! Yes, I, I I totally agree. So now let's spend few minutes on your book. Yep. So um, create forever teammates. I think one thing that I find I found fascinating is the word teammates. Because in fact, when I when I picked the book first up, I said, okay, create forever teams. So no, no, no. It says teammates. Why the title? I'm curious. The story yeah. behind the title. Yeah. So. In the word team, and even in teammates, you know, there is the word me, okay? There is the word me, but I also need to understand that I'm a, there, there's a bigger picture going on than just me, and that it does involve others, and so... I need to be very conscious of both that there is an accountability and a responsibility and a commitment in who I'm being as a person and what I'm bringing to the whole as a person. But I also need to know that there's teammates. These are individual people with individual um, personalities who come from potentially different countries, who whose ethnicity, whose sexual orientation, whose genders, whose everything else are things that in today's world that I have to be aware of. That I have mates, I have I have teammates around me, and if I'm singularly focused on the me part of it. And not aware that if I'm going to truly be an effective leader, these mates of mine are made up of whole, all different flavors. Some are the same flavor. Some are a different flavor. Some are a sour flavor to me mm. that I might need to take a look at. But there's teammates. And nothing successful in respect to my job as a leader can be accomplished unless I'm fully aware of the fact that it's about others as much as it is about me. Makes sense. 
So, um, who is the intended reader when you were writing this book? Yeah. When I first put it together, the intended reader was coaches. And also, there could be benefit to the reading to players and to parents. But the primary focus was coaches who were in leadership positions. And as the book got introduced out there, and as I began to send it out to corporate leaders who were friends of mine, the feedback I got from them was, Patrick, this is, I know, a platform used for athletics, but I will tell you that the principles and the tenets that you have in this book, if applied to the corporate world, will also build unbelievable teammates in respect to coworkers and what they're experiencing in their, in their work life. So, you know, do not for any reason feel like that you couldn't send this book out to corporate leaders, that you could send it to a, to a variety of different industries to, to, to see what's in it and to, to know that the, the principles and the tenets that are in it work no matter what the workplace is or the athletic field or court is. And so it's, it's morphed into so much more than just athletics. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. The feedback I get from people who have read it and in the reviews are very much, yeah, awesome introduction to what athletics should be really all about, but really beautiful life lessons and things that could be integrated in just about any endeavor that we're involved with. Uh, thank you for sharing. And I totally, as, as, as I was discussing before our session, that I totally agree that when I was reading that too, I said many of this appears to be so much rela relatable to, to our challenges. And, and I think one thing that I was, uh, I was pretty interested um, to, to, to understand as a leader is that, uh, I think you rightly pointed out that 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 industrial age mindset that we are living in an industrial age mindset now it's challenged somehow. Now we actually have to live like a team sports team mindset and sort of start embracing creativity and failures and all that. And and basically, as you rightly said, building that trust. Um, so so thank you for the book, by the way. It's it's pretty it's it's pretty good read. Thank you. Um, so now a slightly lighter note. So uh, we call this next session rapid fire. Yep. So how this thing works is I say a word and you share whatever comes to your mind. And if you want to elaborate more, be at it. Um, so should we play? Let's play. <laughs> awesome. So leadership. Mentorship and influencer. Culture. Adjustable. Um, trumps everything else to success. Future of work. Collaboration, co-creation, diversity, embracing all of it, being excited about all those challenges that come with it. Growth. Growth. Don't get too hung up on the outcomes and the results. Take care of your employees, make them feel valued, appreciated, and loved, and the growth will happen on its own. Teams. Teams, most important and vital mm -hmm. asset that you have. Take care of them. 
grow them, build them, make them feel confident. So true. Uh, diversity. Diversity. Love that this has shown up in the workplace in challenging all of us to embrace diversity because there's talent everywhere. We should discriminate against no one and embrace that who we are as a culture is diverse and will make us dynamic and powerful if we let it become the special experience that it can be. Um, Empathy. Empathy is a catalyst for new ideas, for creativity, for invention. If we tap into empathy, it is the most profound way of saying there's someone else more important than me. And it allows us to receive information that's powerful. Um, Jobs of future. Jobs of the future, exciting, new ways in which to get things done, flexibility, benefit to people who can do both at work and in the office, and some not working in the office at all, and some doing things that are exciting around technology. I think I I love the fact that technology is bringing us all of these other ways in which to do things and measure things and perform on Uh, making adjustments to the data we're receiving and the technology that's out there. It's future jobs are going to be awesome and exciting. And I wish I was 40 years younger so I could be part of it. (laughs) Uh, uh, Disruption. Yes, always a constant, Hmm. always and always will be. Those that are able to adjust, embrace it, and look at the possibilities and opportunities that come from disruption or distraction. You're going to be the difference makers. You're the awesome people that are out there. Beautiful. Uh, Future of organization. Future. Oh, boy. Um, I think it's going to look a lot different than it looks today. Um, (laughs) And I see so much more flexibility, so much more opportunity in many different arenas that will show themselves and develop themselves based on the research development, technology, and things that, you know, we've invested in that are important, that the organizations of tomorrow that are willing to adjust, are willing to change, willing to embrace all these new things that might be uncomfortable or discomforting are the ones who are going to be future successful organizations. And that's exciting also. Um, thank you for playing that. Um, so now we're at the, at, at the tail end of the conversation and we want to spend a few minutes on your journey. Yeah. So we asked all of our guests to share some things that has helped them become what they, what they are today. So what are some of, some of the qualities that has helped you be what you are today? Yeah. So I would say that for me, based on my journey in life, that the things that served me well were this inner strength, this holding on to hope, this living day to day, and in some days very hard to do, but never letting go of the fact that Everything that I experience is trying to teach me something about myself. 
and that if I can approach it with the glass half full as opposed to the glass half empty, then opportunities will present themselves that I would have missed had I not continued to hold on to that way of processing things and thinking through things. Um, my faith has played a major role in helping me become who I am, not only in trusting, not only in having some safety and comfort that no matter what, everything will, will be okay. Mm. But it also connected me to the fact that others are so much more important mm. and how I'm reaching out and making an impact on helping others is where the true joy comes from is where the true experience. And those are the things that developed some core principles about who I am and how I want to conduct myself in whatever endeavor I'm undertaking, whether as a husband, as a brother, as a father, as a corporate leader, as an owner of my own business, um, that if my time here is done that people could say that those are the qualities that I brought that, um, that would be Thank time, you. time well served. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and, uh, we ask all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads, some of the books that has inspired them or they're currently reading. Um, I'm curious, do you have any books for us to share? I'm reading one right now by, by, uh, it's a biography on Michael Collins and, Michael Collins was someone who who was involved with liberating Ireland to become its own independent country. And I love reading stories about the underdog and, mm. you know, the challenges and adversity they faced, yet their willingness to continue to charge on. So that's my current read that I, that I really, really enjoy. Um, I am a, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a, a, a nonfiction reader. Um, so I love I, Martin Luther King. I mean, Gandhi, um, Malcolm X, um, you know, people that have been really having to overcome insurmountable odds. They inspire me. And I love reading mm. things that inspire me. I love reading self-help books. I love, I love the idea of continuing to challenge myself to continue to grow. And so there's a number of self-help books I could, I love Brene, Brene Brown books. I, I read a mm. lot of her, I read a lot of her stuff. So mm. um, yeah, I love to read. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and um, last but not the least. So if you want something for our guests and listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation, what would that be? What would be your parting thought? I would ask them to be conscious of and continue to try to be focused on whatever steps they take or whatever actions they take in the course of their day and whoever it involves. Am I operating from a place of love? Am I operating from a place of 
appreciation? And am I operating of a place of helping someone else feel of value or including inclusion or belonging? And that if every day I wake up and I can be conscious of those three things, that I that I guarantee you, you will make a difference in someone's life and you will make an impact that is profound. We all have a platform. Every one of us doesn't have to be a superstar, doesn't have to be a corporate leader, doesn't have to be someone who's a celebrity. Each and every one of us have a platform every day. We're sending single signals out to someone. Our presence and our aura is making a difference to someone. Are you contributing something that's going to be purposeful or are you contributing something that's going to be stagnant or destructive? And make no mistake about it, you have that kind of influence. And I hope that you take advantage of it. With that, thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you for for for, for fighting the good fight and, and helping many business leaders to create thriving teams. And I think in this in this in this age when uh, we are all looking for our uh, our purpose. We are all looking for what should what what should we do. It's it's always uh, great to uh, listen to people like you helping us understand and focus of what 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 we are here for and how we can create more value when we leave. So thank you, thank you for that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your giving me the opportunity to be on today. I love your show, and you are also a very beautiful human being. I can tell by your presence and your care and and what you talk about in your show. So thank you for the opportunity for allowing me to meet you. So you uh, definitely have had an impact on me. Awesome. Welcome. Uh-